All right, you guys ready? <laughs> it feels like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it feels like every week it's holy ground. <laughs> and I've always felt that way to, to some extent, but even more now, it feels like every week is significant. And <laughs> it feels like um, every week is both urgent and restful at the same time. Yeah? I, I don't know all that God is doing on the earth, but I know that it's big. And I know that it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I know that I don't want to miss a minute of it. Right? Okay? So are y'all ready? <laughs> it, it's, uh, man. Okay. So let's go. <laughs> um, last week, if you were here, Jeremy released so many powerful words that we're going to be living in the fruit of for a long time. Yeah? So today, I want to partner with and build on one of the words that he released last week, okay? He said this last week, there's a battle raging on the earth right now amongst nations and amongst global corporations for economic power. We are seeing many global corporations that are bringing in more annually than nations. It's causing them to rise in earthly power, decision-making influence, and corruption. There are those in the earth who are engaging a wicked and godless in wickedness and godlessness at all costs for this power. But I'm here this morning as a servant of the Most High God to say that this power is a false power. And this false power has an expiration date. Amen? <laughs> it's time for the church to come into a greater purity in how to partner with heaven's economy. And how to access the resources of heaven. It's time for the church to break our agreements and our alignments with false power, counterfeit rescue, and corrupt influence. Amen? It's time for the church to take her place of influence in the financial realm. Okay? <laughs> Are you guys okay? All right. So... We want to take our place of influence in the financial realm in righteousness and according to heaven's standards of how to steward the resources of earth. Okay? You guys okay? Almost every single motive and agenda that we see happening in this world can be traced back to money. If you want to know why something is happening the way that it's happening, go and look at who is becoming wealthy off of it. Okay? Abortion is not about women's rights. It's about money. Human trafficking, including child trafficking, is allowed to continue almost unchecked in this world because it is a $150 billion a year industry. Okay? Wars are created and supported because of who benefits and makes money off of them. 
Okay? Does that make sense? It is time for this false power to have an expiration date. For too long, the church has either retreated from its influence in the financial realm altogether, or we have come into agreement with the standards of this world, and we've allowed ourselves to profit from it. The answer is that we neither hide from it nor compromise in it. The answer is to reform it. Okay? Are you guys okay? So in order to do that, we have to know how we partner with heaven's economy. But first, let's start with the economy of this world. Okay? Are you guys okay? (laughs) So the economy of this world is driven by commerce, which is a system of trade or exchange. Okay? The word commerce comes from the prefix com, which means together with, and the Latin word mercari, which means to buy or sell in merchandise. Okay? So commerce is this system of trade where we trade together. You have something that I value, and I have something that you value, and so we make an exchange. We make a trade, and that's commerce. Okay? Commerce is largely driven by competition, okay? In a free market economy, competition, the amount of competition there is for a service or a product determines its value, okay? So when we're in competition for something, uh, well, let me back up and say this. Competition is another calm word, okay? So it starts with the prefix calm, which means together with, And then the word petition, okay? Petition means to seek or to ask or what we're striving after, okay? So when we're in competition, it's about what are we seeking for, what are we asking for, and then we join together with others in competition to win or to pay the cost for that thing that we value, okay? Let me say it this way. Um, competition is all about what are we asking for, what are we seeking for, okay? The problem with competition is that when we go from petition, what we're seeking after, to join with others in this striving to win, okay? Um, a A competition creates an environment of limited supply, okay? So that we feel like if we don't win, we are in lack. Okay? Competition suggests that if someone else wins, therefore I lose. And competition demands that I prioritize my gain over someone else's. Okay? Are you, are you guys okay? The economy of this world wants us in competition. It wants us to determine what we value and then to make any trade, any deal, any bargain necessary so that we can possess it. Okay? Are you guys okay? Does that make sense so far? So a couple weeks ago I talked about compromise. And compromise is this renegotiating of the promises on our life from what God has promised to what the world will promise us. Okay? 
Competition is this renegotiating of what we value. From what heaven values to what earth values. Okay? You guys okay? All right. So, now, there was, in, in, in ancient times, in, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you'd like, if you have a Bible. In ancient times, in, the, in, in ancient Israel, there was a city on the edge of Israel's territory, and it was a wealthy city that was known for its commerce or its trade, Okay? This city was actually within the boundaries of the inheritance that God had given to the tribe of Asher. Okay? So this was Asher's inheritance. But Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of this city because they were wealthy and because they had something to offer them in trade. So, whether, so Asher, rather than possess their inheritance, rather than possess this place of influence, they were content to let someone else have it as long as they were benefiting from it. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to say that again? <laughs> this place of influence and wealth belonged as an inheritance given from God to the tribe of Asher. But Asher was content to let someone else possess it as long as they were benefiting from it. Okay? It seems kind of harmless at the time. Why do we need all that? We'll let them worry about that, and then as long as we're benefiting from it, it's okay. Seems harmless, but the problem was the name of this city was Sidon. And many years later... That's awesome. <laughs> I can <could> see. <laughs> Might be bad for the live stream. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Whew, but I feel like I, I feel like a light went on instead of went off. <laughs> um, so this city was named Sidon. Okay, and many years later, Sidon had a princess, and her name was Jezebel. <laughs> See what happens when we're not obedient. <laughs> so King Ahab, who was king of Israel at the time, <laughs> decided to marry this princess named Jezebel and make an alliance with the wealth and the ability to trade of the Sidonians. Okay? That's worse. <laughs> I love that. That's worse. Yes. So, <laughs> so the economy of Israel was sowing and reaping. Okay? It was all about inheritance. And so it took time. It took attention. It took faith. It took stewardship. And here was this city over here, and its economy was booming. And so they had this God that they worshipped, and his name was Baal. And he was known at the time of the God as the God of abundance. And this was a wealthy city, so it seemed like Baal was the God of abundance. 
So when Ahab and Jezebel married, Jezebel's like, I'm bringing my God of abundance with me. If you want access to my wealth, you have to worship my God. Okay? So Ahab had to make a trade. He had to make an exchange. He had to say, okay, I will give up the altars of Israel's God, Yahweh, so that we can also build altars to Baal. And I will give up following the commands of Yahweh so that I can serve the demands of Baal. And I will give up only asking for the blessing of Yahweh so that I can also, in addition, ask for the blessing and favor of Baal as my backup plan if Yahweh doesn't come through. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) So... There came a time during Ahab's reign where God said, okay, I've had enough. Okay, he said, he chose to step in and demonstrate his people, the the futility of his people putting their trust in the gods of the Sidonians when they had an inheritance from the Most High God. Okay, he said, (laughs) okay, so he sent his servant, Elijah, to King Ahab, and he told him to say, hey, there's not going to be rain or dew in the land of Israel for the next few years except at my word. Okay, and this was significant because this God named Baal was known as the Lord of the rain and the dew. You can look it up, okay, (laughs) So when the rain and the dew came on the land, that was considered blessing. That was considered abundance. And that is why he was known as the God of abundance. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. But the problem was those who believed that Baal was the God of abundance, if you worship that, if you believe that, Baal required an exchange. He required a trade. And if you wanted to worship Baal, if you wanted the abundance of Baal, it required some type of sexual sin or child sacrifice, including homosexuality and prostitution. Does that sound familiar? Sexual sin, uh, homosexuality, and child sacrifice. That same spirit that was behind this God that they worship, this God of abundance that they worship then is the same spirit that's at work in every agenda and every motive that we see today. If you want abundance, you mu- I require this of you. You must make a trade. You must engage. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so back to Elijah. <laughs> God gave this word, there will not be rain or dew in the land except at my word, because he needed to expose the lie that Baal was responsible. He was the source of their prosperity, that he was the source of their abundance, okay? And then he had to say, hey, this thing, he had to expose, this thing that you're trusting in is a false power. This, it's a false rescue, this thing that you think will prosper you, this is, this is what his people discovered. This very thing that you think will prosper you is actually producing more lack and more struggle. 
Do you get that? This thing that you thought would bring you more wealth, more power, more influence is actually the thing that is producing more lack and more struggle. Okay? Does that make sense? So Ahab, like us at the time, when there wasn't rain, instead of like actually, you know, turning back to God, he wanted to blame God. Hey, God, you're withholding something from us. (laughs) But the reality was Ahab had put his trust in a false power. And he was reaping the fruit of his choice. It wasn't God withholding. It was his choice. He was reaping the fruit of his choice. Okay? Are you guys okay? So this was a tough lesson to learn because for three years there was not rain or dew in the land. Okay, so after three years, God sent Ahab back to Elijah and he said, okay, I'm going to bring rain again on the land. And so Elijah met Ahab and he gave him the terms. He said, I want you to invite everybody to Mount Carmel. And with, when everybody comes, I want you to invite the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah that sit at Jezebel's table. So when they brought everyone together, Elijah got up in front of the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you compromise between two economies? How long will you negotiate about what you value? Okay? Does that make sense? He said, if God, if Yahweh is God, then let's serve him. If Baal is God, if he's really the God of abundance, then serve him. But make a choice about which economy you want to put your trust in. Okay? So he said, okay, we're going to make two altars, one to Baal and one to God. And then the God who answers by fire, he is God. And everybody said, okay. You guys have heard the story. So the prophets of Baal, of course, for hours and hours and hours, they're crying out all day, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're dancing, and they're cutting themselves, and like nothing's happening, right? So let's read what happens when Elijah, get, Elijah gets up. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, or Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about what the economy of heaven values. The economy of heaven values bold expectation at the word of the Lord. Elijah moved in boldness, and he created an atmosphere of expectation. He said, come here. Come look. Come see what the Lord is about to do. And then whenever he prayed, it wasn't this long begging prayer. It was boldness. (laughs) This is who you are, Lord. The problem with when we are engaged in the economy of this world, we are less bold because we have a fear of losing. Because it's about competition. Did you know that there's no losing in heaven? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There is no losing in heaven. Okay. In the economy of heaven, the word of the Lord is a seed. Okay. And so many times, like, we get the word of the Lord, and we're looking around, like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And if it doesn't happen, then we think that we didn't hold up our end of the trade. Because we're looking, about, we're looking for a trade. It's not about a trade. We're supposed to take that word of the Lord, and we're supposed to partner with it. And we're supposed to combine it with faith. And we're supposed to put it in the ground. And we're supposed to declare boldly the word of the Lord. We're supposed to live in expectation without fear of losing because the promise of the Lord is that his word will not return void. There is no fear of losing. It's not a trade. It's the word of the Lord. Okay? You guys okay? (laughs) Number two, the economy of heaven values partnership. The very first thing that the fire consumed when it fell was the sacrifice, the required sacrifice. Okay? The bull that was on top of the altar was the required sacrifice. Everything else was extra. Okay? God requires things of us because it's a trade, not because it's an exchange, but because he values partnership. Okay? And if we want to partner with heaven's economy, the first thing that we have to bring to him is what's required. That's the beginning, okay? That means where it starts is bringing our tithe to him. That's the beginning. If we can't start with the, basic, with the basicness of what's required, then how can he trust us with more? And if we can't bring him the basic of what's required, then we don't trust him with more. The very beginning of what's required is the beginning of learning how to trust him for more and how he trusts us with more. Okay? 
he values partnership. Okay? Does that make sense? The more we partner with him, the more he trusts us with. And the more we know that we can trust him. Okay? Does that make sense? Number three, heaven's economy values <laughs> inheritance. Okay? Elijah set up 12 stones on the altar to remind them that they had an inheritance. That they had promises from him on their family line. Okay? And when the, when the fire fell and it consumed the 12 stones, God was saying, I'm confirming my commitment to you. I remember my promises to you. You have an inheritance from the Most High God. Okay? The economy of, of heaven is all about inheritance. It's all about a father. It's all about a family. It's all about honoring and building on the generations before us and leaving a legacy for the generations after us. It's just stewardship, okay? We have an inheritance that the world doesn't have. We have access to things that the world doesn't have. We don't have to make some kind of trade in order to gain. We already have access to that. We have access to the favor of the creator of the universe. He's our father. <laughs> we have access to a peace that is unshakable. We have access to a love that surpasses knowledge. We have access to a wisdom that confounds the wise. We have access to a creativity of the God who created everything that we see. We have access to authority over darkness. We have access to be the light of the world. We have access to know the mind of Christ. We have access to all these things. And too many times we're stepping into the world and we're getting caught in this competition, in this trade, in this exchange, trying to get ahead and trying to win. We've already won. We don't have to strive and trade and exchange in order to gain. We already have gain, and we use that gain to transform the world. But it can't happen if we don't know that we start because we have an inheritance. Okay? Does that make sense? You guys okay? <laughs> Number four. This is the last one. Heaven's economy values investment. All right, I've heard this, this story of Elijah since I was a kid. And everyone always made much of the fact that the water, you know, the, the fire fell and it, it consumed the water, you know, because, um, you know, that was like what made it really extraordinary, really miraculous. Like <laughs> they poured all this water in the fire and they made the wood wet and fire doesn't burn wet wood. And like that was amazing that the fire burned up all the water. And that's true. Okay, <laughs> that's true. But that's not the most extraordinary part of the story to me. The most extraordinary part of this story to me is that at the end of a three-year drought, they filled 12 large jars of water and poured it out on the sacrifice. Water was the most valuable and precious possession that they had. Water was what they needed, so water was the seed. Water is what they brought. You know, it's so, <laughs> it's so strange when you're reading it. Sometimes you read over these things. Elijah's digging the trench around the altar, 
and it measures this trench that he's digging. It's going to hold the water, but it's measured by how much seed it would hold. Like, why are, they, why are they measuring this trench by how much seed it will hold when it's about to hold water? Because water was the seed. And the investment of the most precious thing they had is the thing that they needed. And it's the investment of the water that brought the abundance of rain. Heaven's economy works by sowing and reaping. Investment and increase. Whatever area <laughs> you want to see increase, start investing in it. Okay? <laughs> because when you invest in it, you make it valuable. Because you have an inheritance. Because you have the word of the Lord. Because you have partnership with heaven. Okay? Does that make sense? Like, I have a hundred of these stories that I could tell you. <laughs> But I don't have time, so I'll make it really, really short. <laughs> long before today, long before I'm standing here right now, the Lord said, I want you to teach the word of the Lord. You know, like when the Lord gives you a word and you're like looking around going, okay, Lord, I'm like I'm waiting for the open door. <laughs> and there wasn't any. Okay. And the Lord said, I'm not, I, I didn't ask you to wait for an open door. I told you to teach the word. So I found an old room in the back of our church. It was an old nursery. They've heard this story like a million times. Um, and it had yellow paint on the wall and teddy bear wallpaper. <laughs> and it had, I taught in that room, sitting in a rocking chair with one person for three years. Every week, I gave it my whole Saturday to study, to come teach one person. And for the next four years, I taught four people. And then after that, the room and, and the church and everything got taken away. And for the next seven years, I just taught one-on-one -on -one before I came here. It's about investing in partnering with what God said. Investment brings the increase. Okay? This was the temptation that Satan, one of the temptations that Satan brought to Jesus. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world for a trade, for an exchange. If you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the increase. I'll give you all these people. You can rescue all these people. I'll give you anything you want for a cheaper price than God is asking you to pay. Without the cross. I'm not saying it was cheaper. I'm saying at the time, you could see the temptation that it was cheaper. And isn't this the lie that we're sold? By the, by the agenda, then I'll give you all this. Look at all this. I can, look at all this abundance I can give you. Look at all this I can give you for a cheaper price than God is asking you to pay. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is so much bigger. There's so much more to the kingdom of heaven. There's so much more abundance than we could ever wrap our mind around <laughs> in the kingdom of heaven. But it starts with understanding what the kingdom of heaven values.
and it's you and partnering with you. And these things are not requirements to get us to obey. They're invitations to get us to partner for more. Okay? You guys okay? <laughs> Let's stand up. Oh, you can play that, Scott. Listen. Listen, the altars of Baal are not going to fall in this country until they fall in the church. They're not going to fall in the church until they fall in our homes. And just like in the time of Ahab and Jezebel, and God said, I'm drawing a line. I'm not allowing this compromise anymore. He's saying, how long will you be in competition between two economies? If Yahweh is God, let's follow him. If Baal is God, let's follow him. And Jeremy's been talking about the fire falling on sacrifice. And so I just want you to take a few minutes. Like, God is not going to stop until he gets all of you. Because he's jealous for you and what he can bring to you, what he can do through you, how we can transform the world, how the answer that the world is looking for is in the kingdom of God. It's time to come build our altars to the Lord and whatever our water is to pour it out and just give him whatever that thing is we're holding on to because we're afraid of losing. To just say, I just give it all to you because you are the answer. There is no other answer. It's just you.
some places of influence that you have abandoned because of your fear of losing or because you were content to let someone else have it. And I just, I release like the fire back into you, the passion that the word of the Lord will not return void. And he gave you an inheritance. He intends for you to possess it. I don't want to talk. break agreements with the fear of losing. There's no losing in heaven. There's only winning. There's only victory in heaven. I just release you from looking for that open door. That open door was not the thing you should be looking for. The word of the Lord is the open door. And I release you to see differently, to see the true open doors. That doors look differently in heaven than they do on earth. <laughs> Sometimes, like in earth, you have to look look across to see doors. In heaven, you look up. And God said, you look up because God said, test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out more then you can contain in your life, but you have to learn how to invest. You have to learn how to partner. You have to learn how to trust. You have to learn who you are. You have to learn your inheritance. You have to learn that you are supposed to possess the places of influence, that you are supposed to, to, to be the person that people come to for wisdom. You are supposed to be the person of peace. You are supposed to be the person of authority. You are supposed to be the person who has the answer. You are supposed to be the light of the world. We're tired of the struggle, of the competition, of coming into the house of the Lord and hearing who we are and going out into the world and believing the lies that they offer. We don't want to waver between two economies anymore. It's time for the altars of Baal to come down in the house of the Lord and in the places that the house of the Lord inhabits. You inhabit the praise of your people. You inhabit the house that you built with your people. Your church is the ecclesia. Your church is the authority on the earth. Your church is the one with the inheritance to take the high place. Your church is the voice of influence in this world. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There is not another. There is not another. We tear down false rescues and false power in Jesus' name. It has an expiration date, and we declare that it's expired, and the tide is turning, and things are turning upside down, 
in Jesus' name. You are bringing low that which was high, and you're bringing high that which is low in Jesus' name. Life. 